it's so lovely to be with you. Um, yeah, like, like they said, I'm, I'm used to being on this stage, but not for such a prolonged time and not all by myself. So that's a little bit intimidating. This is going to go well, isn't it? Today we're going to talk about prayer and we're going to talk about powerful, personal, persistent prayer. And I'm going to start by telling you a little bit of my story. Some of you might have heard some of my stories. This is a really, really brief intro. But I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I became a Christian when I was about 13 years of age. And very, very shortly after I became a Christian, my dad left us for the first time. He was a world champion powerlifter. And unbeknown to us, he had developed an addiction to steroids and cocaine that completely ripped our family apart. And during that time, I began a journey with my local church, this little group of guys that I just met, in which they held our hands through the most painful time in my life. I used to rock up to my youth leader's house after school sometimes because I didn't like going home. And I'd sit on their couch and I'd cry and they'd give me tea and biscuits and they'd say, can we pray for you? And if I'm being totally honest with you, I don't know what point you are in in your journey, but at that point in my journey, I didn't know whether I really believed that God could do anything about my family situation. I just didn't know what else to do. So I sat there and I said, yeah, sure, let's pray. And over four very long, very messy, very painful, very complicated years, that little church held me and my family up in prayer through times when I didn't even know whether I believed in the power of prayer. Eventually, my mum, my dad, my little brother all gave their lives to Jesus. They got baptised together. And if you're around on site this weekend, you can hear my dad. <laughs> that, that deserves a round of applause, you're right. Giving his testimony along with the rest of the Tough Talk gang, lifting weights and, and telling what Jesus has done in his life. But it was a really long journey. But not everybody's answers to prayer are like that. So we're just going to watch a short video now um, of another story about answer prayer. And this is Donna's story. And again, some of you, if you've been around Creation Press for a while, you might have seen this story a couple of years ago. But it's a little three-minute video. So we're going to play that. And this is Donna's answer to prayer. As a child, I went to Catholic school and attended church. But my family home was far from Christian. Family life was difficult. And as a quiet, anxious person frequently faded into the background. By my early teens, bullying, sexual abuse and rape became the norm. I became depressed, had frequent suicide thoughts and self-harmed in order to cope with everyday life. In my early twenties, I found myself sitting on the bedroom floor, popping pill after pill, when suddenly I felt like I heard a voice say, stop now Donna. Stopping when I did saved my life and my heart told me it was the Lord talking to me and I needed to invite him back into my life. I started going back to church, which was good at first, and began volunteering at a local school. However, I developed complex PTSD as a result of my abuse, and my mind was once again filled with darkness. I ended up losing my job and experiencing a breakdown. The mental health team diagnosed me with chronic anxiety and emotionally unstable personality disorder. A few years passed by simply counting the days away, struggling to cope with everyday life. I decided that enough was enough. I could no longer take the pain and the suicidal thoughts were no longer just thoughts, but a plan in action. 
It seems, however, that there was another plan in place that I was not aware of. A friend had noticed that I was depressed and she kept encouraging me to pray and take my troubles to Jesus. At first I dismissed this and was quite cross that she would suggest that there was another choice. On the day that I intended to take my life, 9th of August 2017, I was invited to attend Creation Fest. As evening came, I felt an overwhelming need to go. I thought I would attend just in order to say goodbye. Once there in the prayer tent, I was embraced, listened to and not judged. Many hours were spent talking, crying and praying when I felt a sudden sense of calm run through my body. I knew then at that moment that I was and would be safe. I surrendered my life to Jesus and returned home with a sense of calm and belonging for the first time in my life. The following day, I came back and listened to the morning worship. Normally, I would have been extremely anxious, surrounded by so many people, but it was as if I was meant to be there, and the speaker was only talking to me. He talked about no longer carrying the pain of the past and moving forwards, only looking back at the cross and forwards towards Jesus. I fell on my knees and knew that Jesus was with me. A light had been ignited within me, and I became alive with life. Since then, I have not self-harmed once. I attend a local church and now have a Christian family that helps me grow in strength and in the newfound knowledge that I am a child of God and I do have a right to life. For a long time, I was afraid to answer the phone in my own home and I couldn't speak to anyone without stuttering, stammering or stumbling. I still suffer with my mental health and the effects of the abuse, but the Lord keeps it from controlling me. And with every tear that falls, I know he is holding me and wiping them away. When dark thoughts enter my mind, I call on Jesus and he brings his light into the darkness. Choose life. Donna's a really good friend of mine. <laughs> yeah, that definitely deserves a round of applause. She made that video for us three years ago, two years after she gave her life to Christ here at Creation Fest. And her story is slightly different from mine. She had, as Pete Gregg would say, one of those Damascus Road encounters with God, where he fundamentally changed something in a moment of encounter. She came here wanting to commit suicide, to take her own life, self-harming, caught up in all sorts of stuff, and in a second, God released her from all of those things. But whether you have that Damascus Road experience, or whether you have that Emmaus Road journey with God, there are all sorts of ways in which God answers prayer. Some people think the Bible doesn't have much to say to modern life, or that there's no one in the Bible that looks like them. But you know what? That just isn't true. In 1 Kings verse 19, um, chapter 19, verse 4, we find a guy called Elijah, a prophet of God. He's just done the most incredible things. If you've ever read that story, you'll know that he took on nearly 900 prophets of Baal. He took them up and he made them try and call on their God and they did nothing. And he took his own sacrifice, he put it on a rock, he made them pour water upon water upon water. And then he called on the name of the God and God burnt up his sacrifice. He had this amazing victory. And then we see him in the following chapter running away, running for his life 
curled up under a tree and he cries out to God and he says this. He says, I've had enough, God. Take my life. A prophet of God. I've had enough. Take my life. And do you know what God does in response? He sends an angel to give him dinner. And he says, have a sleep. You'll feel better in the morning. And then the next morning, the angel comes back and he says, have some food. Have another sleep. You're going to need it. You've got a long journey ahead of you. And I believe there are some people here today that might have been in a situation like Donna, where something's happened in their life and they think it's over. And God's saying to you this morning, have a rest. Have some food. There's more for you to come. Because sometimes prayer is like that. We think that it's hard and that it's difficult and it's about us talking to God and convincing God and making him do what we want him to do. And sometimes it's as simple as an encounter with him where he feeds us and tells us to rest in his presence before we go out in the power of the Holy Spirit to do the next thing that he's got for us. Isn't it amazing that today God is seeking you out to speak to you? Much of the time, you might feel that prayer is a total mystery. I do. I mean, you've, you've had the expert before me. Let's, let's face it. When they gave me the slot, I was like, seriously? I'm going to preach after the man who's literally written the books on prayer? I'm no expert. And I honestly believe we could make it our life's work to try and mine every bit of wisdom that there ever has been written or said about prayer and still not understand it. You can come to talks like this one. You can buy some excellent books by that other man that was before me. But it can remain elusive. And sometimes I think that is intimidating. But when I've been praying and thinking about this this week, what God has been saying to me is that the truth is, there is no tick sheet when it comes to prayer. Prayer for you will look really different to prayer for you, to prayer for you, to prayer for me, because we are all individuals, and God knows how to best communicate with me, and he knows that it might not be the right way to communicate with you, and he knows that what he said to you last week isn't what he needs to say to you next week, and that in three weeks' time, you might need to hear it in a different way, because he's gracious, and he loves us. But if it feels confusing, just remember that God knows you because he made you, that you're unique in his sight, and that what we need to know is not static. Because if prayer could be boiled down, the problem is that us sinful, flawed humans would probably mess it up anyway, wouldn't we? I reckon in my head it would be a bit like a James Bond movie or some, someone, you know, has got this really great bit of tech that they've invented it. It's meant to save the world, but someone steals it and tries to sell it to a villain for a zillion dollars. If I knew how to tick all the boxes and get God to do what I wanted him to do at every stage in my life, would it actually do me any good? If you can just cast your mind back through your life, Maybe some of the prayers that you prayed at various points that you were convinced were definitely the right thing for you at that time. And that maybe you were a little bit heartbroken when they didn't come back true. 
And now, 20 years on, you're like, thank the good Lord that I never married that man. Or I never went to that college. Or I never took that job. Or I never moved to that continent. Or I know that I said I really wanted to fly around the world and do this. But, oh my goodness, what I would have missed out on. It says in Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. For what has been revealed belongs to us and to our children forever. And that isn't a cop-out. It's an acknowledgement that some things are mysterious because they are meant to be mysterious. Because the key thing, I think, for me, to always try to hang on to when we're talking about prayer is that prayer is about seeking after God's heart. It's about the journey, not the destination. This is the one thing where you can honestly hand on heart say prayer is about the journey. It's not about where we get to. It's about going after God's heart. It's about learning who God is. It's about learning who I am in God. It's about hearing his voice. It's about having my character formed and changed. It isn't about me demanding from God what I think I want. It isn't how can I convince God? How can I work harder? Maybe if I'm more holy, maybe if I pray with longer words, maybe if I spend more time on my knees, he'll do what I want him to do. It's something entirely different. But it's in that mystery, in the uniqueness of our own conversations with God, that we get to focus our attention exactly where it's meant to be, on God and on that beautiful, wild adventure of walking with him. In Luke 5, in verses 16 to 17, it says this, But the news about Jesus spread all the more, and great crowds came to hear him and be healed of their sickness. Yet he frequently withdrew to the wilderness to pray. And in Matthew 14, 23, he says, After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. If there's one thing that we can learn from Jesus about prayer, it's that he was incredibly personal with God. He went into the wilderness for 40 days before he started his ministry. The night before he was betrayed, he went into the garden and prayed earnestly, sweating drops of blood. Hands up, who has ever travailed that hard in prayer that they've sweated drops of blood? No, not me either. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see this incredibly powerful ministry that was underpinned by a hugely personal relationship with God. It wasn't surface, it wasn't token, it was deep and meaningful and life-giving. It was essential to everything he was and everything he did. And then I ask myself, if Jesus needed that, how comes I think I can get away with not doing that? I can just chuck it to one side, squeeze it into the, the, the little tiny moments of my life. If Jesus needed to spend that much time with God in order to do all of the powerful ministry things that he did, where do we get off thinking that we don't need that? Jesus' life, his personal, private life with God powered the ministry that changed the world. 
everything he did after that, the healings, the miracles, the lame walking, the eyes opening, that all came from his personal prayer life of God. But not just those flashy things. Last week in my church, my uh, really dear friend, an old pastor, was preaching. We've been working through the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And he was preaching on the, on the gentleness, the fruit of gentleness. And he was holding up Jesus as this beautiful example of gentleness. Of, and he used the analogy of a shire horse, a big heavy horse, and how when you, you put the bridle on it, that power is under control. And he was saying, this is what true gentleness is. It's not, you know, we all think gentleness is something rubbish and, and meek and mild, but actually true gentleness is power under control. And he painted this gorgeous picture of Jesus that just made me want to fall more in love with him. Isn't it great when pastors do that for you? <laughs> and I thought, yes. Jesus' personal prayer life with God, it did enable him to heal the dead, to make the, walk, the lame walk, to, to open the blind eyes. But it also transformed his character. It enabled him to be that beautiful, kind, gentle, sacrificial leader. And personal prayer also has that power in our own lives to make us different from the sinful, selfish, arrogant, prideful humans that we are by ourselves. We need Jesus to change our character. And in order to do that, we need a personal encounter with God. It changes our priorities, how we respond to the people around us, to the interruptions in our schedule. It aligns our hearts with God's own heart. I'm a better person when I get up early in the morning and send some, some time in prayer. Anybody else relate to that? Anybody else know that when they actually schedule their time with God properly, the flip side is their kids like them more, that they're nicer to their families, <laughs> they're not so short-tempered? Personal prayer has a powerful transformative effect wherever it goes. And we see it released powerfully in the Gospels, don't we? In examples where, Matt, where Jesus comes down and he casts an evil spirit out from a boy and, and his disciples say, why can't we do that? And he says, this one only comes with prayer and fasting. There are times when we have to dig deep in our own personal prayer life in order to see the power of, Jesus, of God released. Leonard Ravenhill said this, the devil laughs at our work, mocks our labors, pours scorn all over our efforts, but he trembles when we pray. That doesn't often match the, the importance that I give prayer in my life, but it's a challenge to all of us that if we do put that effort and that time in, absolutely nothing can stop the kingdom of God from coming and changing our own lives and the lives of our communities. It's a beautiful, wild adventure with God. But you might be sitting there and you're saying, but it's not always easy, Emma. I've been praying for things for years that have not happened. Amen to that. <laughs> Me too. I shouldn't imagine there's a single Christian in this room that hasn't been praying for some things for a very, very long time that have yet to come to pass. But we can take great comfort in the fact that the Bible is absolutely stuffed full of examples of persistent prayer. 
Matthew 5, 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receive. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. But actually in Greek it says something closer to ask and keep on asking. It's an ongoing, active doing. Who knew that Greek actually has three voices in its language? It's a little more complicated than English. It has a passive, an active, and a middle voice. So uh, passive would be something like, I am counseled. Active would be something like, I take counsel. And prayer, when it's spoken about in the Bible, is often in this middle voice. Eugene Peterson explains it like this. He says, prayer and spirituality feature participation. The complex participation of God and human, his will and our souls. We do not abandon ourselves to the stream of grace and drown in the ocean of love. We do not pull the strings that activate God's operation in our lives, subjecting God to our assertive identity. We neither manipulate God, nor are we manipulated by God. We are involved in the action and participate in its results, but do not control or define it. Prayer takes place in the middle. I don't know why God chooses to use humans and allow us to participate in what he's doing, but we know that he does. Roger Forster says, it seems that in the history of the human race, to be a necessity that humankind cooperates with God, he does nothing of consequence otherwise. What an awesome privilege that God wants his people to talk to him, that he wants you to ask him for the things you need for yourself, to cry out for those you love, to speak into the things you see going on around you in your communities, to cry out to heaven for what you want to see happening. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Ephesians 6.18, always keep on praying. Philippians 4.6, in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. But why isn't there an easier way? If God is all-powerful and all-knowledgeable, and the Bible tells us that if we ask, we will receive what we ask of him, why do we need to keep on asking? Why don't our prayers just get answered? Why doesn't it happen like that? I want to tell you two things, two quick points. One, spiritual warfare is real. We know this from the book of Daniel. When the angel appears to Daniel and he says, I've been sent to help you in response to your prayers and your fasting, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. We know that sometimes God hears our prayers instantly, always, but we know that sometimes there is a spiritual battle going on and that we need to push on in prayer through that. If you're a new Christian here today and you've never heard those words before and you're like, what on earth has she just said? I would encourage you to speak to a Christian that you're with. If you're with a church or you've got a pastor or a youth leader or grab one of the ministry team or come and ask me or pick up a book in the bookshop about spiritual warfare. But we know that sometimes our prayers are not answered absolutely instantly because there is spiritual warfare and it is real. The second reason too, God is sovereign. Sometimes it might feel like we're praying and nothing's happening. When we give our lives to God, we accept his sovereignty. 
And if we pray a specific prayer, asking a specific response in a specific time set, sometimes we may be praying right into the will of God, and that's great. Sometimes we might get it a little bit off kilter. So it's really helpful if we always pray with open hands and say, God, not your will, but mine be done. A really wise old man in my church called Patrick told me a long time ago, Emma, no is also an answer. I didn't like that very much, but he was right. Sometimes we pray for things, and just like I say to my kids sometimes, and you might have said to your kids, in love, (laughs) I know you want 15 ice creams today, but honestly, you're going to be sick. The answer is no. I'm doing this because I love you. Sometimes we have to accept that God is sovereign. Sometimes we have to accept that our prayers will be answered, but maybe not here in this life. That there are some things in our fallen, broken world that are just not going to come to pass the way that we desperately want them to. But we can trust that every single one of our prayers is in a bowl in heaven, rising like incense. And then when God comes again, when the new heaven and the new earth come, we will see healing in a way that we've never seen it. We will see the making good of all things. Not one prayer is wasted. Not one single one. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Sometimes persistent prayer feels like suffering. But it's always producing character. I had the immense privilege of interviewing um, Nikki Gumbel a few weeks back. If you've uh, not picked up your free copy of Premier Christianity Mag, you can get it from in the exhibition hall. He's on the front cover. That was my interview. It was such a pleasure to interview him. And I asked him, over the years that you've been leading a church, what are some of your highs and lows? And he said the hardest thing, the worst thing that he ever went through was when his friend, who he was playing squash with, they were 41 and 42, He had a heart attack on the squash court and dropped dead right in front of him. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to me, he said. And I cried out to God, and I still don't understand why God didn't spare his life. He said, but if I've learned one thing over the years, it's this. There are lots and lots and lots of ways in which we grow in character. And he reeled some off. And he said, but honestly, suffering produces character faster than anything else. It's not hard, it's not easy, but persisting in prayer produces a character in us like nothing else. It changes our hearts. It moves us from a position of expecting God just to meet our demands to, God, how can I pray into what you want to do? And God's not a sadist. He's not like, Yeah, I might answer your prayer, but can you just spend a little bit longer on your knees, please? (laughs) Yeah, no, I I might answer your prayer, but you need to do it a bit better first. It isn't a test or an exercise, but it is about changing us. So our priorities align with him. It's about growing deep roots in us and getting us to a position where we can say, I believe that God is good all the time even when my circumstances don't look like it. 
a few weeks before my parents finally gave them their lives to, to Christ, my mum sat on her bedroom floor. After taking my dad back several times, no, none of us can actually remember how many times my dad came and went in this four-year period. That was how bad it had got. And every time he turned up on our doorstep or phoned her from an airport or said, can you please take me back? I, I'm, I'm going to quit the drugs. I'm gonna, I'm, I've left the girlfriend. It's all going to be all right. He'd come home for a few weeks. He'd try his hardest. He'd leave again. She'd patch him up. He'd disappoint her. And one day she sat on her bedroom floor and she said, God, I want to follow you for myself. And I don't care if you restore my marriage or not. I just, I can't do this anymore by myself. I can't fix him. I have to trust you with him now. I want you to fix him. But whatever happens, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to trust you. And in that moment, she changed. The prayer changed her as well as him. Because in that moment, she was made into the likeness of God. She said, I surrender my will to you, God. Sometimes prayer is like that. So as we start to uh, draw this to a close, I just want to encourage you. Cultivating a habit of personal, persistent prayer is the best thing that we could put our time to. I fail at it every single day. Most people I know do. But I want to be better at it. And I want to be better at it because it releases the power of God in our lives. Everything is different when the Lord is at our side. Our work becomes easier. Our difficulties no longer frighten us. Not even... I'm reading a quote here from a guy called Ollie Hallersby. So I'm trying to hold it. Everything is difficult, is different when the Lord is at our side. Our work becomes easier. Our difficulties no longer frighten us. Not even human contrariness, nor the unpleasantness we experience at the hands of others can disturb our peace. In the quiet, peaceful joy which we are experiencing, we do not feel like being angry with them. We feel more like embracing them and saying, you can be as mean as you like. That does not matter as far as I'm concerned. I'm happy in the Lord. Only they succeed in living a peaceful, victorious, happy Christian life who have learned the profound secret of daily renewal to turn to God incessantly for a new and fresh supply of power from the realms of eternity. Luke 18, verse 1 to 8, Jesus tells his disciples a parable to show them that they should not give up and should always pray. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. And for some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what this woman thinks, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you that he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? God is looking for faithful prayers. 
people who won't quit, who are prepared to trek across town day after day and keep demanding justice, who don't care about looking stupid or risking embarrassment or about whether they're getting what they ask for. Personal, persistent prayer is powerful, but it is also by definition hard, life-giving, miraculous, world-changing, but hard. No one sees it. Often no one applauds it. If you're here tomorrow, you might um, listen to an amazing guy called Joshua Luke Smith. He's a musician and a writer and a poet and annoyingly great at everything. He's just written a beautiful book. It's called Something You Once Knew, Waking Up to the Extraordinary in Your Ordinary Life. And in it, he discusses that age-old philosophical question. If a tree falls down in a forest and there is no one here to hear it, does it make a sound? And he says, on the one hand, no, because the definition of a sound is something that someone can hear. And yet we know, don't we, don't, deep down in our hearts, that just because something is not perceived, it doesn't mean it isn't real or it hasn't happened. Although sometimes in our Instagram-ready society, we may think that. Today, often being perceived as everything, being seen as everything, we're desperate to be acknowledged. But just as the tree shook the ground when it fell, so the spiritual impact of what we do in those personal, persistent, prayerful moments with God is real. I'm here to tell you this morning that your prayers matter. My prayers matter. Not all of us are called to be preachers or pastors or musicians or creatives or writers. You may feel unqualified and insignificant sometimes in the things you do in your everyday life. But all of us are called to pray, to align our hearts with God and to pray for the things of the kingdom to come to pass here on earth just like Jesus taught his disciples. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be eloquent. We don't have to stand on a street corner and cover ourselves in ashes and make sure everyone's looking at us. It's not a test. It's an invitation into a beautiful, wild adventure that will leave you transformed and will leave the places that you walk and talk and live transformed. Spurgeon said, prayer and praise are the oars by which a man may row his boat into the deep waters of the knowledge of Christ. And so as we like conclude now, as Pete asked you earlier, if you don't yet know Christ, we want to give you that beautiful wild invitation to walk and talk with him today. We've got an amazing team of guys in green on the side here who will pray with you if you don't know Jesus and you're like, I don't know Jesus, but I like the sound of him and I would like to talk with him. Go talk with them, let them pray for you. You might be here today and you might be thinking, I'm lacking that perseverance. I struggle in that personal prayer life. I want you to be given an opportunity today as well to... Um, 
to just be re-energized. Our word as we were praying backstage before we started this morning was encounter. We want to invite you to encounter the power of God today. And lastly, we were praying this morning and we really feel like um, that God wants to release a spirit of intercession over the church today. So I'm going to invite my friend Claire to come and join me and Tiva because these two are, I was so chuffed. I didn't know they were hosting this morning and Claire's been on my heart all week. And um, because I, I don't know her very well, but I know she carries something of God's anointing. I've known Tiva a lot longer and I also know that he does carry something of God's anointing. So we're just going to pray with you this morning and we've got a little bit of time for response here. So if you want to respond this morning, if you even want to persevere in prayer or you know that you want the gift of intercession, I believe that God is wanting to raise up a new generation of young people and old people, all ages that can intercede for their communities, that can see the Spirit of God released in their communities. We want to pray for you this morning. We want to release that Holy Spirit gift in, in your life. So if that's you, I'd ask you just to stand where you are, to come and see these guys. And we're just going to pray. And we're just going to lead into a little short response with the band and, and see what God does with us. Father God, we thank you that you invite us into a personal relationship with you that we get the beautiful, wild adventure of walking and talking with you every single day. God, forgive us for the times when we take it for granted, when we neglect it. And Father, we just ask you, by your Holy Spirit, would you just release your anointing among us this morning? God, we just call out the gift of intercession on our church. Would you be raising up the the prayer warriors in our midst that are prepared to put in the hard graft and the unseen work to pray for our communities, for our young people, for our towns, for our churches, for their neighbors, for their friends. And we want to say, God, we want to partner with your heart, with what you are doing in our world. Forgive us for the times when we've dictated in prayer. And Lord, instead, be our, let our hearts be melded, become one with you, that we would know your priorities. The prayer would be a joy and a pleasure and a privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.